today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, it's a group that doesn't get a lot of attention until now, and we're so pleased to shine the spotlight on it. Joining us from Open Doors is Michelle Boomgard. First of all, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. So let's first of all talk about Open Doors, because you do a lot of great work. We were talking before we got on the air. A lot of people may not know your story, so this is your chance. So Open Doors is uh, sort of the outreach, the community hub of St. Christopher's Anglican Church on Guelph Line in Burlington. Um, we are actually, as I said, it's a community, community hub. So there's over a dozen different programs that all happen through Open Doors. We started about 16 years ago with just a simple clothing closet for folks who didn't have, you know, winter clothes or clothes, uh, children who didn't have the right clothes to go to school. Um, and as we got more and more in touch with our neighbors and our community, we started to see more and more needs. So now, today, in addition to the clothing closet, we have a food bank that's open three days a week. We have a community dinner every Tuesday night that's open to anyone who wants to come. We've got a seniors luncheon on Thursdays. Um, we've got drop-in mental health counseling offered through the Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, we've got, and the th reason we're here today, is that we've got the Christmas Families Program, which offers an opportunity for families in need to have a moment of Christmas joy, um, whether they are individuals, folks who are going through a hard time, folks who are divorced, or whether it's just a family that needs a little bit more to help have their have a Merry Christmas. You're based in Burlington, correct? We are based in Burlington. Now, the first thing that jumped out at me is there is this, and here it comes, the perception that in Burlington there is no poverty and everything is fine and... Everything, as we say, is just moving along. It's not the case, is it? It's not the case. Um, and we uh, come to we we come face to face every day with uh, people who are finding it very hard to get by um, in any number of ways. Uh, we had last year uh, three thousand visits to the food bank alone. Um, folks who needed a little help just to put food on their tables. Um, we. I mean, the, the the stories that I hear um, in my capacity, I'm also the rector at St. Christopher's, um, some of them would just break your heart in terms of uh, families who don't have uh, adequate shelter or folks who are just going through a really rough patch. When this happens, what is there a common theme as to, and bad things happen and unfortunate mm -hmm. things happen, you can plan all you want and sometimes it just happens. Is there a common thread to why people are in this situation? Is it job loss because of the economy or is it just every person is different? Every person is different, quite honestly. So sometimes it's uh, sometimes it has to do with just sort of life circumstances. Sometimes it has to do with uh, a family kind of splitting up. So a family that was just making just making ends meet, you know, before suddenly, you know, that family splits up. And so suddenly, you know, you've got family people who are trying to make do when they didn't have the support before. Um, sometimes it's just people were making do just barely before and, you know, and suddenly the cost of living goes up or something goes up and they're not able to do it anymore. You uh, had mentioned that you are the uh, pastor at St. Christopher's in, yep. in Burlington. And I, I know, and we've heard this term a lot, donor fatigue, where people are asked to give, especially over the holiday season. Do you find now that it is generally tougher when you go to your parishioners and say, you know what, we need a little bit more for this particular reason. 
I'm not finding donor fatigue for for this, quite honestly. Um, and I think it's one of it's one of those things that we're discovering. This is so tangible, and I think it's the holiday season, so people really do kind of want to share the joy of the holiday season with uh, with others. Um, so I've not ever, you know, we, we had a uh, sort of a giving tree up in uh, in our church where we would sort of list, you know, oh, here is a, you know, three-year-old boy right. who really likes cars and stuff like that. And people would come up to me, we hear there's this thing, where is it? How can we be a part of it? Um, we give, you know, and there's sort of a saying out there that says, you know, you should always give people the opportunity to be generous. Um, and people have come through, you know, better than we had ever hoped i think when you mentioned you've served three thousand families uh, with your your uh, food program yeah. um obviously that's got to come from somewhere talk about how you go about getting uh, the donations for um the food program so we are incredibly blessed um and i'm from a religious background so i'm going to say we're blessed um we have a lot of community partners and quite honestly we wouldn't be able to do what we do without our community partners um so we are partnered with organizations like food for life um we also have a lot of business association groups that um like to sort of contribute to us the food bank contributes to us as well um so we actually have a whole lot of people who support all of this um, we also get people who find us through Canada Helps if people want to make a contribution. Um, there's all kinds of groups that come together to help us do some of these things. We will take a break and come back and talk more about what is happening with the great people at St. Christopher's, uh, the Open Doors program. Reverend Michelle Boomgard is here. This is the CHML Blitz Day as we continue here. Ted Michaels in for Scott Thompson, who's on at 3 this afternoon, back with more on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking to the recipients, some of them at least, from the uh, CHML Children's Fund. Joining us to talk about that for the next few minutes is Jennifer Hamill from Essential Aid. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. So let's first of all talk about Essential Aid, because the nice thing about this program is we we help uh, businesses and charities and what have you, but sometimes uh, people don't know what you're all about, so... Tell us uh, what you do. We operate an infant food bank in downtown Hamilton, and we provide emergency assistance for children under the age of four. So diapers, formula, wipes if we have them, um, infant foods, all sorts of things. How did this come about? What was the, did somebody sense a need for this, obviously? Yes, our founder, Raven, actually originally started out of her home, just noticing that moms were saying on Facebook groups and stuff that they weren't able to provide for their children certain items, like formula is very expensive. So she started from her home and then it's snowballed from there. So formula and diapers and, um, what particular like how is how does somebody become a client of essential aid do they basically reach out to you and say i think i need some help for the most part yes we receive referrals from various organizations across the city women's shelters public health things like that um we have a fairly decent online social media presence so if a mom comments in a mom group or something that they're having trouble um a lot of times people will refer them to essential aid and then they come see us. Um, is the need for this continuing t- to grow? I mean, everybody thinks 
you know, everybody says that the economy is getting better, what have you. We find out that that's not the case, and sometimes things get a little dire than maybe people think. Is this uh, becoming more and more of a need every year? It really is, and it's it's really sad to see in our community, but we're serving on average about 210 children a month right now, which is but anywhere in a year, we're about 3,000 children, and around the holidays, it always spikes up, um, and it's it's awful, but we're here to help, and we're going to continue doing it. 3,000? A year. A year. Yeah. Um, what do you, so, so it's... When you buy the formula, you go and buy in bulk uh, because the funds that we raise, so obviously from the CHML Children's Fund, part of that goes to what you do at Essential Aid. But the funds that we offer, is it for, uh, as you mentioned, for formula or is it for, for other stuff as well? Because as you mentioned, formula is very expensive. We use it primarily for formula because uh, an, on average, a tub of formula is about $34. Right. And we do use coupons and other like promotional things. Unfortunately, we're not able to order from in like a skid of formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to be careful what we buy because babies are very sensitive to what kinds of formulas they can have. It's not a one size fits all. So we have to use our money strategically and what's in demand. And is there a formula that isn't so much in demand, but we need to keep it on our shelf in case we have a baby that requires it. There, I'm sure that the moms that talk to you probably don't want any attention drawn to the fact that they are getting stuff from essential aid there is a stigma or a shame and there's no need that they uh, have to feel the way but unfortunately they do do you find that that's the case where you kind of have to say you know what it's okay absolutely when people come to our center it's a very difficult thing for a mom to say i'm unable to feed my baby right um and it's hard but we try to make it very pleasant we don't judge we're we're there to help we're friendly and a lot of our clients once they get on their feet they become donors well, that's the other part is I was going to ask how gratifying it is. Okay, first of all, you're helping somebody in need, but then you see them down the road, I don't know, six months, a year. You know, the little baby is now probably walking or crawling and getting into things, which is great <laughs> because you like to see kids do that. Yes. Um, what, how gratifying is that for you when they come to you and say, thank you, look at me now? Uh, it's incredible. You can't even put it into words to know that you've been able to help someone who is so small and really the entire family because they're getting things from us that other food banks don't offer. And if we weren't there, probably they wouldn't have that. So by taking the stress away from them and knowing that they can come to us when they're in dire circumstances, it's amazing. Um, this has been going for how many years now, Central Aid? Roughly? I think we're rounding about eight and now we're actually in a center downtown, but like I said, it started at our founder's home. So the center downtown, um, is it uh, accessible? Is it like right in the downtown core? Yeah. Can, can can you give uh, where you're located? Because some businesses don't. Yeah. No, we're at uh, 100 Main Street East, and it's Suite 109. So it's at about Main and Catherine. Okay. And it's on the bottom floor. We tried when we relocated to make it as accessible as possible because not everybody has a vehicle and that way we're, we're right on a bus route, we're downtown, it's perfect. When uh, a mom comes in uh, and you give them the, f- the formula and the diapers, roughly how long does that last? How, how many visits do they do in, I don't know, a week or a month or what have you? So our emergency assistance program is only available every 60 days to mm-hmm. a family. So you can access it every 60 days and we strive to give a one week supply. And we're not there, our, the, our purpose is to bridge the gap 
when you fall in hard times. We we're unfortunately not able to provide for an entire month, but we try to bridge the gap as best as we can for a week. Um, should I even ask if your group gets any funding from governments? Because I, I don't want to get on a tangent about <laughs> government funding and where money goes, because I could be here all day and probably upset a lot of people. I'm sensing it's not an easy fight. It's definitely not an easy fight, and no, we don't have um, government funding. We're funded primarily by our community, which is amazing. And you have to do this every year. Is it tougher year upon year upon year to ask people to, to help? Because every charity obviously has a reason, and we know them that they're all here. But sometimes, you know, people get tired of people being asked by charities. Is it tough? Very tough. It's difficult to – people want to help, and it's hard because they're being asked by so many people, and you only have so much to give. So I understand that it's difficult, but – we're really, really thankful for our donors who continue to come back to us. And, and of course, cash is what uh, the people need at Essential Aid. And here's how you can donate, 900chml.com. Go to the Children's Fund via PayPal. You can use Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Debit. You can also donate to the Children's Fund at canadahelps.org. Donate in person here at the CHML studios at 875 Main West. We accept cash, debit, Visa, MasterCard, or American Express. By the way, a great thing that comes up every single year is the Pioneer Three Cent a Liter Day, Wednesday, December 19th. So that is coming up soon. Three cents from every liter of gas purchased on that day will be donated to the Children's Fund. So again, Wednesday, December the 19th. And you should know that when you give a cash donation to the CHML Children's Fund, part of that money will go out to help the people at uh, Essential Aid who uh, do such a great job. And now I'm sure people know all about the program. Jennifer Hamill, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, hopefully it'll be a relatively calm Christmas for everybody down there and you can enjoy it and uh, you will get all the funds that you need going forward. Thank you so much. This is the CHML Children's Day broadcast. Had Michaels in till 3 o'clock this afternoon. Reminder, at 3, we will go down to Gore Park for the official tree lighting ceremony. Scott Thompson will be there with a whole bunch of uh, guests like he always has. The mayor will be lighting the tree along with Bill Kelly. The tree is spectacular. That will be uh, on the air live, and then you'll see it glowing, and the tree is just gorgeous downtown to Gore Park. And we're on the air again tomorrow and Sunday, tomorrow from uh, 10 until 2 o'clock. And then on Sunday, uh, myself and Sarah Kane will be on the air from noon until 2 at Jackson Square. Hopefully, you will be dropping by with a donation or a toy, and you'll be helping out a whole batch of kids that otherwise might not have a good Christmas. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joining us is Stacey Marshall from Fit Active Beautiful. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. Now, uh, by the way, we talked off air. I ran this morning. You ran this morning. There is something about finishing a run in this cold weather. I I took off my toque and it was like the creature from the Black Lagoon. (laughs) I had steam rising from my head. It was visually, it's ugly, but how great is it just to go for a run and enjoy this cold, crisp weather? Oh, I, I actually really like running. In the winter, a lot yep. of people think I'm crazy, but yep. I actually like doing it. And you feel great afterwards. Um, the first little bit, yeah, it's it, dicey. It kind of hurts. Cold, yeah. And your body's like, we could maybe go home. <laughs> but once you get through it, you feel fantastic. Great way to start your day. Like energized, so, ready to go. So let's talk, let's talk about Fit Active Beautiful. I love the concept of 
of this group. Tell us about it. Um, so our program is for girls in grades six through eight. Um, what we do is a 12-week program, and we use running as our vehicle, but we're teaching them how to goal set and belief in self. So we do 12 weeks. We have a few events thrown in, and then we accumulate with a 5K race at the very end. When is that held? Uh, May, I believe? Or is it um, our final race this coming year will be June 8th. So it's actually, well, it's an event, but it's a race, and they mm -hmm. get a chance to uh, do all this. Yeah, so they work with coaches. So we usually have about 20 girls and four coaches, and we have about 12 locations. And each week, they're building on their journey to complete a 5K race. I say complete because for some girls, it's running. For some girls, it's walking. Right. So some girls, it's a combination. Where's it held? Um, the race is held down at Confederation Park. Ah, and it's okay. open to the public, just so that everyone knows. They can always sign up and see our fab girls running, too. The funds that we raise from the CHML Children's Fund, we uh, have Fit Active Beautiful as one of the recipients. Tell us about where some of those funds would go when it comes to your programs. Absolutely. So you guys have actually supported us for a number of years, which is amazing. So those funds get used in different ways. So for some of it, it might be for healthy snacks because we give our girls healthy snacks in program. Mm -hmm. um, it also helps to support some of the events that we do with the girls, like our 4K Challenges event that's put on solely by FAB. And so they get to go out and do a 4K challenge and kind of see what the race route looks like before they actually run the race. And there's, yeah, so we kind of use the money from CHML in a whole bunch of different places to bring girls into our program, to support with events, to support with healthy snacks. So we've been very grateful for the support over the years. As the father of two grown girls, I remember uh, grades six to eight. Uh, it seemed to be kind of the start of when things happen. Uh, I guess it's the hormones kicking in and what have you. Um, talk about the challenges that the girls that you deal with from grade six to eight. As we say, generally, it's tough anyway to be a kid, especially at the age of 11 or 12. Yeah. But in this particular group, I sense that there's a little more to it than just the usual teenage or pre-teenage angst. Absolutely. So uh, we bring our program to the high-risk, low-income areas of Hamilton. And so by fundraising to bring our program, a lot of these kids may not have the means to join a program like ours. So it's free to them. Um, we go in the neighborhoods where they can walk to programs. So we take away some of the barriers to participation. So programs free, they can walk to and from. So we're not relying on someone to drop them off. Um, by participating in our program, they end up with two running shirts. They earn a pair of running shoes. So if they're with us for at least eight weeks participating, they'll earn a pair of running shoes. We give them a goal setting journal. Um, like I said, we participate in four events with them. And, yeah, it kind of all gets wrapped in there. For well, that, well, that's what I was going to ask, because uh, as a runner, we know you have to wear at least a somewhat comfortable shoes. And, you know, some people like to go low end and then find out that, gee, I wonder why I got shin splints. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It cannot be. I know it's not inexpensive. Um, mm -hmm. And that is probably where a big portion of the funds go, because as we say, a good pair of shoes will cost you upwards of $100, and that's probably low end. Easily. Easily. It's about $200 for a girl to go through our program. And that's per girl, just to cover all the costs that we have for the program throughout the uh, 12 weeks. Um, when you go into the schools, do mm -hmm. you, uh, t talk about what happens. You obviously talk to the principals and the teachers and what have you say, this is what we, we want to do. Do you go into the classroom en masse or do you talk to somebody that say, I think this this uh, this girl would like to be a part of the program? Um, uh, so recruitment for our program. So I actually do recruitment as well. And what we do is we go into schools and we do a presentation. So we show our video, which is on our website, and we talk to the girls about what the program is. And then we hand out applications. So all the 
the girls really have to do if they're interested is they take their application home, they fill it in, and they drop it off at the rec center that they want to participate in. I would suggest uh, possibly in some of the, I'm not saying all, but in Mm -hmm. some of these cases, there is anxiety, there is depression, there are other things that they're going through based on possibly a life experience talk about that because I know that that's one thing that they have to get over. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we've seen a lot of different issues within our program within girls. Um, I've been coaching for nine years, so I've gotten to see firsthand some of the different issues like that girls have around even just belief in self. And usually we find that if the girl will walk through the door, that's an accomplishment as well. And then just getting them, you see drastic changes in the girl that doesn't seem like she comes, but she doesn't do anything else. Right. And then by, you know, week 12, she's running and she's smiling. For some girls, they go to the same school and they're not friends at school, but they'll be friends in fab. And you start to see all these um, nuances and relationships building. We start to, our coaches are amazing women that totally get involved with these girls. And we start to see different things happen and changes in them. And it all streams usually back to belief in self. They don't feel like, you know, I'm not worth it. I'm not special. And we start to really work on the changes because that alone is, you know, amazing when you see a girl change from that, you know, I can't do anything to, oh my goodness, I just did this. How do you know as a coach when you get a girl who's saying, you know, I'm here, but I don't want to be, and I really can't do it. And, and, and the whole physical part where you have to know what buttons to push. You have to know when to back off. There is a line. Yeah. How do you uh, know as a coach, and everybody's different, when to kind of say, when somebody says, I can't do this, and you say, yes, you can. How mm-hmm. do you know that? Um, so I would say some of it comes from experience. Um, I can think of a girl in particular that by far changed my life, and I coached her for six years, and she's now in university. Um, but the first year... She showed up every week and then she proceeded to climb the goalposts at the school. That's all she did. She didn't think she could do anything. She didn't think she was special. And sometimes it's just saying, I'm going to believe in you until you believe in yourself. You know, I'm going to walk with you when we should be running. I'm going to, you know, be in it with you. And I find those moments are the moments where girls kind of the switch changes. Um, And they go, wait a second, you're going to do this with me? You believe in me? You know, and they have those moments for sure. Even knowing, I find, too, a girl's name changes things. It's just giving them that moment as a coach to say, I see you, I'm with you in the journey, and I'm going to help you get through this. Without getting into the whole psychological issue, is Mm -hmm. a lot of that because the girls don't get the reinforcement, the positive reinforcement at home because of a situation and that kind of molds it into what they're going through uh, on a daily basis at school? Yeah, sometimes it is and sometimes we don't know. So we don't always get to know every girl's story. Sometimes girls have been through tough times. Is you know, things that, you know, you don't want kids to go through and they just don't have that. Or they might have gotten attention for, you know, negative behaviors as well. So it's kind of trying to figure it out as you go through it with them and coaches are really great at just kind of letting the girl be in that moment and then starting to work with them as they work through it you touched upon the girl who you uh, coached and is in in university i was going to say how gratifying is it for you to see what you have created out of this person you've kind of broken the mold and look at me now and the other part of that is do they come back and speak to the girls that you are now coaching well, interesting enough, so the girl I, I spoke of, so we actually have a smaller program for high school girls. So I've been lucky to take a six-year journey with her. And she has kind of 
become a little bit the face of fab. So she, our new video has her talking about her experience. Um, she's come out to a few of our events to speak to the other fab girls and stuff. Hopefully one day she'll be a coach. She's away in Sudbury, so it's not going to happen this time. Mm. But yeah, she has done an uh, amazing journey. Like I can't even express how incredibly proud I am of her and how great she is. Somebody may be listening right now that thinks to themselves, you know what, I think my daughter may be a part or not necessarily a candidate, but yeah. maybe somebody that would be interested. Talk about the website and how people can get the information that they need for that. Absolutely. So our website is www.iamfab.ca. Um, we start opening up a registration for our programs in February. But if you go to the website, there's a link for our programs. And then there's a drop down to the 5K program. Um, in February, that'll all open up. It'll have all the locations. It'll have a link to the application form because you can also apply online as well. Um, so we would have all that information there for them. And they can easily just go in and click and then go online as well. A lot of the times I will be out in the school. So girls might come home with forms as well. What drives you? in this? Uh, I mean, everybody has, uh, and I think I know the answer to this, but <laughs> what drives you to get involved in coaching the girls at FAB? I have a daughter. So um, that was the main reason I actually volunteer with FAB. So I now work for them and I volunteer for them. And at the time, years ago, um, I was going through a not a great divorce. Mm -hmm. And I wanted my daughter to see a mother that was going to be empowered and that was going to do great things in the world. And FAB was kind of the place I landed. And then since then, I've just continued. And the other thing is, is I love the girls. I'm not going to lie. I love coaching. I love being part of an organization that's just about giving back and just about inspiring girls to live big and dream big. Do you hear from the parents that say, you have taken my daughter, you got her out of her shell, you've created this beautiful person, and thank you very much for that? Yeah, we do hear back from parents, and we love hearing stories from parents about just even the changes in their daughters, or just even, you know, having parents come out to events and watching their daughters run, and just that look of awe where they're like, she's running. <laughs> like, yeah, she's awesome. Be and just seeing the changes there. Yeah. Be because that's the thing, obviously, parents don't necessarily go when they're training, but when yeah. they see the end result, it's like... My baby, right? Yeah. She's up there, <laughs> there right? Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, very quickly again, mm -hmm. the website uh, that people can go to again is www.iamfab.ca. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joining us to talk about uh, their particular group is uh, Monique Lavallee, who is from Nawasa Kandasantag. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. And tell us about your organization, because I know that there are people that don't know who you are. Well, thank you for the invitation. Nawasa Kandasantag actually stands for, um, it means a place of learning. We are a nonprofit, uh, charitable, indigenous organization in Hamilton. We have programs and services um, across the lifespan from prenatal to elder. And all of our programs and services are rooted in indigenous knowledge, our cultures and our language. How difficult uh, is it uh, for you to get funding? And that's, that's a question we ask a lot of groups. And I know that uh, the government, uh, and I won't get on this tangent, but sometimes governments aren't quite acceptable to donating. Right. So I think oftentimes, as, as our other agencies, we're kind of at the whim and the mercy of governments and what their, you know, what their kind of, I call it flavor of the day is. And right, right now we hear a lot about the uh, TRC. So that's fabulous. It's not fabulous in the sense of um, hearing the stories and the... Uh, 
the difficult experiences and uh, and histories of the indigenous peoples of Canada, but it's now being part of a conversation. And uh, so I think that's important that people are uh, learning and hearing about the history of indigenous people in Canada. Uh, but it still is a challenge for us. We find that uh, large corporations or sponsorships are difficult to achieve for indigenous organizations. And we don't find often that we're at the top of the list uh, for donors. Do you know why that is? I, I honestly don't know. I know some folks have shared with me previously that they put uh, Indigenous organizations um, akin to um, religious organizations, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not the case, so we're not a religion. Right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're First Nations of this country. Right. So uh, you talked about the uh, the people and the clients that you serve. It's wide range, basically yes. from youth to, uh, to um, seniors. Yeah. What do you do? What's sure. what's some of the programs that so they get involved with? Under our earlier's portfolio, we have the Aboriginal Head Start program, and that's a free uh, program for Indigenous children and their families, um, two and a half to five. And um, our our goal is to create a safe uh, space for families and their children to learn and revitalize their language and their culture. Um, and we have licensed childcare programs, and everything comes from Indigenous worldview and Indigenous pedagogy. So, our licensed childcare, we have preschool and toddler currently, and we are going to open our infant program room in January. And we have an early on child and family center, again, another free program where parents can come and learn together. Um, we offer the Mohawk and Ojibwe language classes. We offer um, adult programming. So we have intergenerational Indigenous co- community kitchen, um, life skills that are rooted in Indigenous knowledge. So um, we have youth programs. So Nawe, which means thank you in Mohawk, the Mohawk language, that stands for Native Youth Advancement with Education Hamilton. And it's a partnership with both the school boards in Hamilton. To pro- we provide um, cultural, social, and academic support to Indigenous students and families. Um, and the goal is to support them in um, making their way in graduating high school, but creating pathways for them to post-secondary education by having Indigenous folks in those schools that uh, can, can be their advocate. How much educating, if you will, or education is there for the Indigenous people about your particular group? Because I'm sure that there were people that think, oh, we didn't even know you existed. Right. Uh, we often hear that. We're, um, we're kind of a hidden gem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we, we do our best with our, you know, with our website and, um, and just we have a central line. So we do have a central line that's available if folks are interested in our programs and services. One of the misconceptions is that you need to be Indigenous to access our programs and services, and you don't. Ah. Um, we are open, and that's part of our teachings too, is that we're all here together Um, And it's about building relationships and moving forward together. And so the only program that we do have that we ask folks to self-identify for is our Aboriginal Head Start program. Um, Other than that, we welcome families of all nations, races, and faith traditions to come to our drop-in programs, to access our parent education, community kitchen programs. So the funds that we raise from the CHML Children's Fund and a portion goes to your group. 
when you mention food, obviously somebody has to buy the food, somebody has to go out and and get it. That's one of the things that the funds go toward, correct? Right. And so um, we're so grateful. Every year we have a winter gathering, and uh, we're able to provide a hot meal for families. And the Christmas Tree of Hope has supported that. Um, one of the other things that we are um, enabled to do through the funds is to prov- provide culturally relevant books for our families. It's so important for Indigenous children, youth, and their families to see themselves represented positively in literature. And so I, rec- I recall a story last year, um, we were handing out the uh, Indigenous books for children and a little boy <clears throat> took the book and he opened it up and he started looking through it and then he stopped. And then he, um, it was a picture of an Indigenous child and he looked and he said, it's me. I'm right there. And so it's really, it was really heartwarming to, to see that because often we don't see ourselves or Indigenous folks represented um, in a positive manner, whether it's in literature or media. Wow. Uh, our guest, Monique Lavallee from uh, Nawasa Kandaswin-Tag, thank you for joining us. So you have, at the very least, educated a lot of people about what your group does and the great work, as you say, the hidden gem. We're now shining a light on that <laughs> hidden gem. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joining us for the next few minutes to talk about uh, a very, very important issue when it comes to uh, life and end-of-life care, uh, Danielle Duquette, who is the Director of Development from uh, the Bob Kemp Hospice, joins us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You were kind of bopping along to that last song. I was. I was in the Christmas spirit. See, there you go. So (laughs) let's talk about the Bob Kemp Hospice. First of all, what your group does is is obviously something that's very important. A lot of people, they don't want to hear about it, what have you, but uh, it it is end-of-life care. And it's very, very special, is it not? Absolutely. So we've been in the community for over 26 years, and we have uh, various programs under our umbrella. Um, we have a 10-bed hospice um, in in Stony Creek and in Hamilton, and um, we provide end-of-life services for people in our community who are living with a, a life-limiting illness. I was going to ask how emotional that is, obviously, if uh, people come to you before uh, the final step, so to speak, and kind of have that conversation. I can't imagine it's easy for anybody. It, it's definitely not. Um, people often will come out for a tour to see what the facility is like. Um, often, if, if you haven't been touched um, or experienced it, um, they don't know what to expect when they when they walk in their doors, but really it's it's as close to home as as you can possibly get. Uh, and we're honing in because this is the children's fund. Your your uh, Bob Kemp Hospice uh, people and your group deal with the children. It's a very special program. Uh, it's hard not to get really emotional about this, and I can't imagine. Well, actually, we can talk about that afterwards. But uh, it involves kids and death. Yes. Talk about that program. So we have a camp under our umbrella, which we run every year. This is our um, sixth year coming up, and uh, the camp is in June. And we send 50 children to camp who have experienced the loss of a loved one in the community. Um, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine with the kids that come to you and the family members and what they have gone through. Yourself personally... Mm-hmm. How much of a toll does this take on you? Or the other part of this is, is how do you get through this on a daily basis? You know, it's, um, it's a really beautiful thing. This, this camp is 
transformational for children. Um, children grieve differently than adults. Um, we often refer to it as puddle jumping. You know, they jump back and forth between play and grief. And um, oftentimes children are afraid to talk to their parents or, or to other people. They don't get the support at, at school because they don't have people around them who have gone through the same experience. And, and the camp really provides a safe environment where they have, they're surrounded by other individuals who've experienced a loss just like them. Now, the uh, the counselors at this camp, uh, talk about them, obviously the staff that deal with the kids on a daily basis. So we have um, specialized um, individuals, um, 30 volunteers, so it's almost a one-to-one ratio with, with the kids. And they go through extensive training specifically for the camp. Um, and they will... Um, do certain activities um, to help the children express their grief th- over the weekend. And uh, so so it's a weekend camp for them then? It is. It's a three-day camp um, up in Bracebridge. And, um, yep, every year we send uh, 50 children to it. Well, I was going to say part of the funding uh, from the CHML Children's Fund would go to things like, oh, I don't know, renting a bus. Absolutely. Um, we've been really grateful for the support of the CHML Children's Fund as we don't receive any funding for the camp and it costs over $50,000 to send the children every year. So we look towards community and um, corporate support to help us continue that. Where do the kids, I I don't want to say where they come from, but how are these kids not necessarily chosen, but where do they come from? Is it from parents or family members who think that there's something here that they should be dealing with? Yep. Oftentimes, um, you know, people have heard about our camp in the community or on our website um, through um, various schools and whatnot. We, we put the word out there that the camp is available and, and anyone can apply to, to come to the camp. So it's, um, we have our application online for it. Age group of the kids? is 6 to 17. Wide range. Very wide range, yeah, um, which is really important. And uh, obviously dealing with a six-year-old when it comes to death is, I would suspect, a little different than dealing with a 17-year-old. Yes, they're going through the same emotions, but as you said, sometimes those emotions come out in different ways. Absolutely, which is why we have such specialized volunteers that we can direct depending on the age group. Uh, the volunteers, are they social work t- uh, people or are they people that just wanted to volunteer and help uh, with this? So p- there's a variety. Program? Yep. There are some who have social work backgrounds, some are nurses, um, but there are some who've just come through our volunteer program and find out about the camp and, and that's what they want to get involved with. Uh, do the kids that are in uh, the camp, uh, do any of them, um, I, I would suspect they, they have been to the Bobcat Hospice, if it's mom or dad or, or... No, actually, any child in the community who's lost a loved one. You don't have to be affiliated or have had uh-huh. someone pass away at the hospice. It, it could be any child who's experienced a loss. It could be a friend of theirs, a parent, a sibling they are able to take advantage of, of the camp. I would just say it takes a very special person to work at the Bob Camp Hospice knowing what you're dealing with. It's, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to help people come in and, and be able to carry their grief 
um, with them and um, help them through a difficult time in their lives. Um, the and you do talk about ten beds at the Bob Kemp Hospice. Um, I know that this was a, a long time coming, and the building with uh, rest in peace, Doctor Bob Kemp. Yes, God, God yes. bless him. Uh, but you're at uh, at ten beds now. We are. We. Um, he, Dr. Bob Kemp, was a true pioneer for palliative care in our community, and he opened up his home and started our visiting volunteer program out in the community. And um, we have, he raised the funds to build um, where we are now, and we've been, have the residential building um, up in Hamilton on Stone Church for 11 years. How much feedback do you get from family members if, if uh, uh, one of their uh, children goes to the camp? They know that they've been dealing with something that is pretty pretty scary and horrendous and emotional. Do you get a lot of feedback from parents or family members afterwards, not necessarily right away, but kind of down the road saying uh, you, you've helped them so much? Absolutely. Um, I just had a conversation with our camp director, Sue Ripa, and you know she talks about this, the um, feedback that she gets from parents and caregivers of, of these children who have gone to camp and the transformation in them over that weekend. And um, we're really looking to expand those programs down the road to carry on, just not the three-day camp, but to continue um, supporting the kids throughout the year. And if it's not the three-day camp, any ideas how you'd want to support that, uh, taking it down the road? Yeah, there's, we're going to expand um, our bereavement support for children. Um, we're going to look at having um, bereavement support groups for parents, because it's really important to help um, parents deal with their grief so that they can care for their children. So yeah, we're, we're looking at expanding all of the programs. Fascinating uh, look at what uh, happens at the Ball Camp Hospice. If people have inform- uh, need information about how they can sign up or get information or even talk to the people at Bob Kemp Hospice. Uh, how do they do that? They can go on our website at uh, kemphospice.org or they can call um, our line directly at 905-387-2448. I, I have so much respect for what you and, and your group does because I've heard nothing but good things about the Bob Kemp Hospice. Um, making the end-of-life journey a little more pleasant. Uh, it's not easy, obviously, but uh, I've heard nothing but uh, good things, and uh, congratulations on what you've done, and hope that the uh, the kids' camp expands and you get all the funds that you need. Appreciate it. Well, we're grateful for all of your support. So and this, uh, this is how you can help the uh, people at Bob Camp Hospice and all the other charities. Just go to 900chml.com, go to the Children's Fund uh, page, and you will see all the information, who you're helping, how you're helping, and again, a reminder that the Pioneer Three Cent a Liter Day is coming up on Wednesday, December the seventeenth, and three uh, Wednesday, December nineteenth. I'm pardon me, Wednesday, December nineteenth. Three cents from every liter of gas purchased on that day will be donated to the CHML Children's Fund. The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.